0: armoire.style/onboys that's armoire.style a r m o i r e .style/onboys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again try armoire today welcome to onboys Real Talk About Parenting, Teaching, and Reaching Tomorrow's Men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com.
1: I am so pleased that we have our guest Ashanti Branch today. I met him About a year ago, he traveled up to Portland, Oregon to be with us for a screening of the movie, The Mask You Live In, which we'll definitely talk about today. But what was so impressive about that visit, Ashanti, was that you went to several different schools, and the one that I went with you to was middle school boys. I think they were seventh and eighth graders, and to watch you work your incredible magic with this gymnasium full of middle school boys who were kind of like, what? What's going on? Who is this person? And you didn't have very much time either. Yet, the exercise that you took them through around the masks that they wear. I mean, I'm getting chills right now just talking about it. I'm so excited to dive into all of this. Officially, you are the founder and executive director of the Ever Forward Club, which is about building character and transforming lives. But most of all, I just want to get to our conversation. Ashanti, welcome. So great to have you here.
2: Thank you. Good morning. I'm glad to be here
1: awesome to have you um so you know we need to start at the beginning i know you were a civil engineer and then you became a teacher and what a journey to then come into this work of supporting and enlivening our boys
2: yeah you know the journey when i think i was thinking about the story the other day because i have been um speaking in different conferences and organizations and working with a lot of teachers now. And our work has been really growing to work with a lot of educators. And I was telling a story the other day that really made me remember like a deeper layer of where it all started. You know, I was raised by a single mother. Um, My father died before I was born. And I just grew up, my mom trying to teach me how to be a a good boy. And the streets of Oakland had other rules about what a good boy a good man looks like right there's you don't get a lot of room and time to be a boy and where i grew up you gotta mm-hmm. grow up fast and i think being the man of the house meaning that there was no father in my house like i had to grow up even faster like my uncle at seven years old told me i was the man of the house at seven years old i was told i was the man of the house because there was no man in my house and it was my job to protect my mom and my sister and my brother and so my journey of like going becoming a man started really early and then imagine Like I think about educators, I think about students who grew up in different life situations and teachers treat them in the bodies they're in. Like I was a seven-year-old boy, eight-year-old boy, nine-year-old boy, but in my mind, I was a man. So teachers had a hard time dealing with me because not only was I very confident, I was a little smart and I had a smart mouth. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like teachers don't really like kids who have a smart mouth, especially when a kid will tell you, you can't tell me what to do, and the reason you can't tell me what to do is cause I'm a man. Like yeah. what? You're in I'm a eight.
0: seven-year-old body.
2: That's right, exactly, yeah. and that <laughs> and that's how it happens, and that's how my like, my battles happen with people telling me what to do, authority people telling me. And my mom, she always could tell me what to do, but anybody else didn't get a whole lot of room in my life to be like, do this. And if I wanted to do it, I would do it. I wasn't always defiant, but I was clear that I'm a man. So. I think my journey towards manhood started so early that I had a lot of time to reflect on it. And I didn't always feel like I was a man. I didn't feel like I knew what it meant to really be a man. I was just trying to do the best I could and watching the models of people around me in my community that I can, I'm i clear was not healthy masculinity and definitely not um, that kind of man I want to be as I look at today. And even then, I didn't feel like it was right, but everyone else was doing it and these are the only men that were in the community that were giving me kind of some of the instructions around it, and I think that that's where I, my journey started. So I think when I, you know, went through the journey of high school and you know college, you know, I was I had been <laughs> when I got to college, I was already I had been a man a long time ago. I wasn't just kind of finding my freedom, you know. I was I had been a man a long time ago. So I'm just there doing what I need to do so I can get this degree, so I can go and be rich. You know, that's what that's what I was on the trajectory to be. Um, I never planned to be an educator. I never planned <laughs> to be a teacher. That's <laughs> and, good,
0: because if your plan was to be rich, and you purposefully decided to be an educator, <laughs> you made a poor choice.
2: <laughs> oh, you better believe you did. Oh, <laughs> uh, I tell you that, because I was clear that this is not even my whole check. When I was like, when I left engineering to become a teacher, I'm like, I think they missed something. I think they missed. <laughs> right. think they missed something in this formula. And I, as a math teacher, I'm like, there's some math missing in this <laughs> check. But, uh, but I think the journey towards becoming an educator, after becoming an engineer, I think it had to happen that way for my story. It had mm-hmm. to happen that I had to experience what it was to work really hard in college to achieve this big goal, to go out to a job where you can make really good money, and then feel what it feels like to move up the corporate ladder, and then make a. Tr- choice to leave right no yeah. I, I think it was like that idea like you know what like your life is gonna be always full of choices and what choices do you choose do you choose to work for money and i i've done that right or you choose to work for the thing that you feel passionate about that you feel like makes you come alive so what was how, the
1: turning point
2: what was your turning point to, go um, from corporate
1: I, I, to education
2: well i think deep down um it had been it had been happening so i was our office was in this big building and downstairs there was this learning center And every day i would leave work around five six seven whatever there'd be kids running around this lobby of this corporate office but i'm like why are there kids running around this office building right so one day at lunch i walked around the side of this building and it was the huntington learning center just like a you know one of the sylvan family learning center Mm -hmm. places and i walked in i'm like hey um what is this place? I always see kids running around, but they're only here in the evenings. They're like, oh, this is the learning center. You're looking for a job. I'm like, job? I'm an engineer. I don't need no job. <laughs> right? And She's like, you're an engineer. She's like, yeah. She's like, I need a math tutor. I'm like, tutor? What 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 I look like tutoring math? Like, I know math, but I, I'm I got a job upstairs. She said, Look, I'll pay you, I think it was like $18, $19 an hour. It was like the number that was really nice. And I'm like, you know, as an engineer, I was traveling when I had time. I'm like, that's some good travel money. So I started there tutoring. And I think I also started tutoring at the um, at Upward Bound in Oakland. So I don't know which one happened first, but I do remember that that's when it started turning on. Mm-hmm. It was like, like Ashanti, uh, yep, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm not going to go too deep in the story about this this journey, but the journey of like coming to teaching was that. I saw that these young people needed to have good teachers. Like, and I and I would go to schools, go to career days. They didn't even know what engine, They didn't even know what construction management was. They only think construction was what you do when you're out in the field getting dirty. And I'm like, I don't get dirty. I change my tennis shoes to my boots. I go out to the field. I do my stuff in the field. I come back to the office. I change back to my tennis shoes. <laughs> like, you know, it's like they didn't even understand the idea of engineering world in the construction world. And I was like what's going on where some of these schools not teaching them these these opportunities of careers and i think um it just began the seeds started being planted um but i ran from it when i when i felt the calling of being a teacher i ran from it because i i wanted to i wanted to be rich and, and i'm like well that this is this calling on my i don't know where this voice is coming from i was hearing like voices in my mind like you should be a teacher you should be a teacher and i'm like you got the wrong house <laughs> <laughs> This house needs to be rich, you know, and 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 I and I can remember it like vividly, like running from this idea that that's not what I planned. It's not my plan, mm-hmm. and um and I and I, and it wasn't until I really got clear that yeah, Shanti, you I I changed jobs to go get make more money, and it made the hunger for that thing worse. And I was like, okay, it's yeah. time. And time yes, to listen. Yeah, yeah it's time to listen. Yeah, we're glad you listened. Oh, I'm glad, too. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful, you know. I thought I was going to just do it for two years and get out of my system, mm-hmm. and that was uh, 2002, so it seems like it's not out of my system yet. So, not yet,
1: no. And not- just witnessing what you did with those boys last year and imagining that impact exponentially is you absolutely are exactly where you should be. So I want to have you tell us about your 100,000 masks
2: project yeah thank you so 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 i became a teacher 2004 i mean 2003 uh started this program ever forward club really working with these young men in my class who were really smart but they weren't showing it. and what i had forgotten as a adult at that time is that that's what i was doing in school i was like when i was in middle school like i was i think i was smart down you like sat me down to talk to me but I wasn't showing it because showing that you're smart was not cool in my school. So I wanted to be cool. So cool means you talk back to the teacher, you do whatever you want, you kind of play around, you have fun and whatever. So um, when I became a teacher, I saw these students in my class that were really smart, but not passing my class. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? Why, why are we, why are we not connecting? What, what, what's happening that I'm not able to reach you the way I think I should be able to reach you. Why are you not learning? Cause you're smart. And I invited those young men to lunch. And Ever Forward started out of this idea of bringing these young men together to talk about what we were going through in a healthy way so that they didn't let this stuff come out in unhealthy ways. Because if you're dealing with a lot of stress and trauma or fear or just apprehension, then you may operate in ways that don't necessarily feel really good to you. And so I think, um, so whenever Forward Club started, I was just trying to help these young men pass algebra but it became something bigger. So the documentary came out in 2015, uh, The Mask You Live In. And when we were asked to be featured in it, um, I just was trying to create an activity for those young men that would help them connect. Because before that, they weren't connecting. They weren't connecting in really any authentic way. And I was like, um, you can come film us, but just so you know, these young men are not going to be telling the truth. You know, they're not going to be right. telling... They're going to be sitting around in a circle saying, everything's great. Everything's great. And that's not accurate. But I, in a circle, my job is a whole space. I, my job is not to tell their business. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was we came with this activity, taking off the mask activity. And then it worked, right? It worked. And I, I, I saw it kind of work. But until I saw the documentary is when I really saw it work. I was watching the documentary at Sundance. And I was like, oh, my goodness this is the next phase of our work. And, and so basically we started doing these workshops called taking off the mask. And then all of a sudden I, I got a call from some educator somewhere who said, your activity doesn't work. I'm like, what activity are you talking about? I don't, I didn't see somebody doing no activity. And they were like, the activity that you did in the documentary. I'm like, I didn't teach anybody how to do that. That's just, you know, we were in that room for over an hour and a half. Like, The clip is only three minutes. Like, I hope you didn't take what you saw in three minutes and try and get your students to do that, right? Like, that creates unsafety. And so the 100,000 mask challenge came literally out of me trying to not get blamed for educators (laughs) doing what they saw in three minutes and then saying, your activity doesn't work. And so Mm -hmm. I said, we're going to give it away. And so we created, at first it was called the Million Mask Movement. That was the original name. Uh-huh. And then my team was like, don't you know that's a big number? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but doesn't it sound amazing? The million.
0: <laughs> it's nine- a good name.
2: <laughs> it was beautiful. I had an M- M- I had three M's nestled inside of each other. I had, I had, I had worked it out, but I, <laughs> I, I understood their fear and, and, and their apprehension. So we, we changed it to the hundred thousand mass challenge. And once we hit your hundred thousand, then we'll, Will upgrade to the million mask movement, but I think ultimately what we're seeing right now—we've uh, collected over thirty-seven thousand masks wow. out of twelve countries. It's been really beautiful, and the masks are really this representation of what we let the world see, and then what are the things that are behind the mask or the things we don't normally let people see. And it's a tool that's anonymous—you don't have your name on it. it you know, in their first stages, it was just a piece of paper, and now it's like this card, this tool that we mail out to educators all over the world. And um, it's been really exciting. And what I've seen it do when I go to workshops now is, is giving young people, older people, even teachers, a space to recognize, wait, I I, do, I I have been wearing a mask. And maybe I've been judging people based on my students, based on what I see, right. because I'm, I'm seeing what they're letting me see.
1: So Ashanti, I am curious, and I know our listeners probably would love to hear about maybe one specific boy that stands out for you, that this mask exercise really stands out for you, that he really got it or was able to see. And and a little bit about watching these boys do the exercise. You had them write on one side what they show to the world, and then on the other side what they don't show. And then if I'm remembering right, you had them switch cards around, and then they read from these cards and that was so deeply moving to hear these boys expressing their uh, their concerns and this particular school is you know you think it's like middle class upper middle class mostly white kids life's pretty good they're doing sports all the you know yada yada but to hear them talk about how anxious they feel how worried they feel it was yeah powerful.
2: Yeah. It has been a beautiful uh, experience for people. When I asked them at the beginning of our workshop, I say, look, all I want you to do is do your best. Like, I don't need you to worry about being perfect. I don't need you to worry about uh, anything but giving your best. And if you give your best when you leave here, I'm pretty confident that you're going to say, I got something out of it. And so what happens is, when they decide to write on their mask, I'll tell you about one young in a minute in particular. So, oh man. So this is early stage of the workshop. This is actually, he was actually in the documentary. In our circles, even that day, he wrote something very simple on his mask. I don't remember which one was his, but I know that his real story didn't come out. So we came back to the club, you know, the club kept going after the, the filming, but we're just, we're still doing our work. You know, the, the filming just was one day, a couple of hours. We still are doing the work every week, right? Um and this really meant every time we checked in, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good, right? Months and months and months. Every time we came out and he around him for check in, he'd be like, "I'm good. I'm good. I'm a 10," right? And one day, we got around to him and every you know, he when you have one person who always says the same thing, you just kind of expect him to say the same thing. So this day in particular, we got to his turn, everyone's ready for him to say, "I'm good. I'm going." He was like, "I effing hate my father." And everyone just stopped because no one expects him to ever speak. He, was all, he showed up every week, but he just, what? What just happened? Now, a young man on the, side, the other side of the circle, whose father had just passed away like a year and a half, two years before, he gets really mad. And he's like, I should beat you up. I should, I should fight you for like disrespecting your father like that. I wish I had my father. And I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't get to project your father on his father.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He has his own experience with his father. You have your experience with your father. Let him speak. It took him six months to finally speak. Right. Like, let's not shut him down because you were trying to project. And I think that's what happens with a lot of, well, let me not tell you what I think happens. Let me come back to the story. So so what happens is I said, please tell them about your father. Now, I knew about his father. My job was in, their, in that work was I knew what was going on in most of their lives. Even though in front of each other, they tried to pretend like it was not much going on. And so he talked about his father being abusive and about um, not feeding them and about not about having to go and steal food from the store because his father would go and buy himself dinner and not buy the kids dinner. Like just like horrific story after story. And literally he talked for maybe 15 minutes. And I think that young man who was upset at first said, you know, my bad, I'm sorry. Like, I I just miss my father. And so I think there was like this idea that, like, I don't know what was the magic day that happened that made him ready to talk that day. But I do know that a lot of programs are like, hey, how quick are you going to fix these kids? Hey, how quick are you going to make it better for them? I don't know. I wasn't a part of how the trauma was started. I don't even know what's going on. My job is to come in and create a space so that they can know that they're, they're listened to, they're respected, they're important, they're valuable. And I think that oftentimes some of these programs that and educators sometimes un, unconsciously, even administrators sometimes unconsciously, they're like, "Hey, you're going to come do this two-hour workshop? Are they all going to be fixed after that?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm hoping I can even get them to open up a little bit, right?" right. I, I mean, can we can we just be reasonable in what we expect in terms of if trauma has been happening for years, two hours can do some work, but let's let's be reasonable. And I, and I, and I think it's just. My work now as I'm an outsider coming into schools. I've been in school. So I, I, I know how to speak the language. I, I remember being in school. I remember being a kid who was shut down and didn't talk about what was going on when I left school and went home. Yeah. Um, and so I think that young man stands out to me a lot. And so many more stand out to me in this journey of 100,000 masks. Do you guys have time for one more? Just on one more really quick? Of course. So this other young man, I was just telling the story the other day to one of our board members. Um, He came into workshop, hoodie on, is a middle school. Hoodie on, like you could tell, the rest of the kids all want to sit by him. Now, you one person going and sitting by two people in a circle. Everybody's trying to sit by this kid. So I'm like, what's going on here? So my job is to watch, pay attention, observe. And so when we go around and start doing the mask he's scribbling on the other side of the mask. He's like, and so our kids are like, I'm watching kids watch him yeah. and they're doing what he's doing. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So he goes around. We started doing the part with the mask. He did very, very little. The two kids next to him did almost nothing because they're watching him. Yeah. We get around to the second part of the workshop where we all kind of go around and talk about, you know, and we just, I just, I treated him like he was giving his best.
0: New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. BuyHeart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash envoys. That's try.easymeltz.com T-R-Y, forward slash On boys,
2: like I didn't treat him like dude, let's go. You know, I was like, hey, come on, go ahead and finish. You know, I'm just giving him encouragement like everyone else, but I could see he was resistant and getting real.
0: You just treated him like he was giving his best, you weren't pushing him.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm pushing him because I push everybody, but I'm not like, why are you not doing what I'm asking to do? It was more like, I so I knew that what I saw in him was like a resistance, right? Mm -hmm. And resistance doesn't always mean. I want to mess up your workshop. Resistance is like, I don't trust that if I was to tell you something about me, you could handle it or that you would treat it well or that people wouldn't disrespect me or that all these props that I give from all these students who love me and want to be with me, I'm going to lose that, right? When they know that I'm human, that Mm. I'm not always this tough kid who is like, doesn't care about nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I could just, I, I i didn't make a judgment about what it was reason was. I just know I've seen it so many times. My job is to just hold space for him. And so, you know, deep down, the a facilitator who wants everybody to do everything. I want to be like, let's go, you know, but I, but I have to resist. <laughs> I have to resist that part of myself sometimes and say, are you... I'm just trying to trust you giving your best, right? And he's middle school. And sometimes I have to do some corrective action. But so here's what happens. We go into the space and we get to the second part where they go around and they speak about their own self. We go around to him and it comes to him. He's like, nah, nah. He has nothing to say. I'm like, well, let me do this. I said, you don't have to say anything then right now, but I'm going to come back to you at the end and I do need to take your hood off because I, I want to see your eyes, right? So he takes the hood off, you know, slowly, like, you know, it takes somebody like, 30 seconds to take the hood off, but my job is to wait him out, right? And respectfully, right? And so he takes the hood off, we go around the circle, and then we come back. And I'm like, it's your turn. And then he was like, and that moment when he started talking about what people wouldn't be able to see by looking at him, he started bawling. Like, uncontrollably crying. Tears dripping, like dripping on the floor. Like, I, I, you know, for me, I, I've i learned that when a young man starts to cry, I don't go and pat them. I let them, I let it out. I want them to let it out because I think sometimes they need it. I think they fight this idea that crying means weak. And my job is to let them know, yes, let it go. Right on. And I'm just standing there right in front of them. You got it. Keep it going. Keep it going. Let it go. Because, and the other young men watch this. Now, I'm not watching them in this moment. I just know my job is to hold space for him, let him emote. Because oftentimes, our young men are taught that emotions are weak and that they don't emote. And from him, after he finished, I mean, it took him about five minutes to get the sentence out. It was like the next person, tears. The next person, tears. It was boom. It was like, oh my God. And as a facilitator, we're working with young men in the roughest communities it was beautiful and it was about giving them that space and that in that that space of opportunity right and i think that you know i don't i don't go in each room trying to make anybody cry but do you know that if you have been fighting back the fact that you feel for so long all you need uh, all, it just requires somebody to let, let you know that you're okay that there's yeah. nothing wrong with you right and i think that to know that the, the trauma and the situation that our young people deal with they have to just kind of eat up and pretend like i don't feel this is sometimes um sometimes dangerous and, and i think it, it comes out in really unhealthy ways i think that's why our jails are full of men 94 percent of people in prison are men i don't think it's because men are bad i think it's because men have bottled up all of this stuff they've been taught that they can't show because it's going to make them look weak or soft or like a like a like like, like a, a non-masculine, mm-hmm. then, and then what happens is at some point, the pressure is so high. It has no choice, but to come out. And usually it comes out in areas of the least resistance against family, against friends, about people we know, our own communities. And um, I, I was just so proud of him that day. And, you know, our job is to help him get ready to go back out to the world. And, you know, but those young men, they support each other. And we had a great and they began to build a really a great type community there at that school. So I think those are just two stories that I think um, I think of through this work. And it's just like giving the young men space and giving them space to to be human.
0: You know, and, uh, you you mentioned a couple things while you were telling that story that I want to draw attention to. And first of all, it takes time. You as the adult, the parent, the teacher, the group facilitator, you can't make this happen on your schedule. You can't force a boy to open up. You can't hurry this. It it may take a long time of simply being there, holding space, like you said. And the fact that you treated him, regardless what you saw, as he's given his best Mm -hmm. instead of getting you know, frustrated that this kid isn't giving more or doing what you think in that situation. And so often we adults let our own personal frustrations and timelines and administrative pressures interfere with how we react to these kids. But these kids really need time and support. And you recognized his resistance. It wasn't that, you know, he wanted to screw up your day or he wanted to, you know, do something bad. He didn't trust because he had no reason to trust. The whole world up until that point had told him it is not okay to let this this part out. And you know, you've been working with boys for years now. Even that's not necessarily enough for an individual boy to say, all right, I'll, I'll show you all my stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And most times, even though you've created the space, some of them aren't ready. Some of them at the end of the workshop will come up and say, I'm so glad you did this, right? They they want to, they're they they, they they're not ready to do it in front of everybody, but they'll come up at the end and they'll be like, I'm so glad you came. And some will like linger back because they want to talk to you last because they want to really have a, like it's just so beautiful, I think, to know that, you know, that's that's the work, right? I think sometimes, like, I I I'm, I want to tell him something, but I can't tell him in front of everybody, so I'm going to wait. And uh, I'm like, hey, and I, and I make time at the end of the workshop to, to talk to those who stay behind. And I try and like, Teachers are like, hey, go to class. And I'm like, well, no, hold on. I, he wants to talk to me. I try and make sure that I, when I recognize that they're waiting to say something, I try and let the administrators and the school know, no, hold on, he, he's going to talk to me right after I finish with this young man, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't want them to want them to be able to let some of that, whatever that may be, out so that they have the space. And I think uh, it's just been, it's been a journey. And I think I need to do better by like at the end of these workshops, writing down like a story or something. Because as I told that story again, uh, I was with the board one of our board members the other day, and he's like, "Tell me the story about the kid with the hoodie." I'm like, "Which story?" Because yeah. I do some all over the country, and I'm like, "Which, which story? story?" He's like, and he, he remembers me telling him this. Like, oh yeah, and I'm like, I need to get that one written down. Yeah. So it's like all these stories that I just like. It takes me a minute to catch back up to when when, it, when I when I when I come back to remembering the moment. I'm like, oh yeah, that mm-hmm. was powerful. Hmm.
0: What advice do you have for individual teachers and individual parents who, you know, they can't do what you do. You're going out and you're doing these group workshops as a male with boys, but what can parents do and teachers do on an individual basis to Create these safe spaces for boys to let them know it's okay to be who they really are, while also respecting the fact that you know these boys are functioning in the world that have certain expectations of them.
2: Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Um, I think for me, one of the things that I tell teachers, I'll tell you the quote I tell teachers: I say to them, if you care more about your subject that you're teaching than the subjects who you're teaching you're probably gonna have a disconnect so if, if me as a student when I knew a teacher didn't like me I would just be clear the mute, the feeling was going to be mutual mm-hmm. right and so therefore as a student I'm gonna win because I'm with my peers this is one of them It's me and 30 of my peers right I'm, I'm gonna win even if I, even if I'm am like wrong when-
0: it's like we're talking about Sam and the art teacher all over again, right? <laughs> well, Sam is my youngest, Ashanti. We've been there
2: with him. Oh, man. Oh, man. You I've know, been there. I know I know those kids very well. Yeah. Right? I'm like, oh, you created a mutiny. You were, you okay, okay, I get it. And so when I talk to those kids and they come to my office as an administrator, I'm like, tell me what happened. Well, you know, I'm like, oh, tell me what really happened. Tell me what really happened. Tell me <laughs> about the... Tell me about the mutiny you started. Like, what? I started not start. what's a mutiny? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't even know what you started. You not even know what you did, right? Uh, and I think deep down is like giving them that space. But I think for me, and what I tell parents, I say, if you have become so much of an adult that you forgot what it's like to be a kid, then you may need to do some your own soul searching. Because I think sometimes parents are trying to protect kids so much from what challenges they went through that they don't let kids be kids. And so therefore, trying to keep them from making mistakes, trying to keep them from learning through tough times, we sometimes expect them, hey, so what if that friend doesn't want to be your friend anymore? Just ignore them. Like, that's easy to say as an adult, right? Because you can can easily write people off as an adult and be like, well, I'm going to find a new friend. But when you're 12 and you're 13, your friend's, Are extremely valuable and important. Yeah,
0: and when you're 12 and 13, and you are stuck in a school, and these are the kids that you are around, you're stuck in a neighborhood. You don't have as many options as you do when you're 45.
2: That's right. That's right. Exactly. When you can't just go find a new a new bar to hang out in. Everyone, right? You you you're there every day, and you tell your parent, "I want to go to school today." They're like. You're going to go anyway, right? When mm-hmm. you don't want to go to that party over there, that thing, you just don't go, right? And it's like, so I think that what we, what sometimes adults forget, and I talk to parents about it, is like, I try and do this workshop with parents too, because I say, look, do you know about your own mask like today? Like what things are you're not talking to anybody about? So you can imagine what it's like for your kids who are trying to, they know you, like parents know their kids. And I tell the parents, your kids know you. Yeah, They know, they, they read you. They, they know what things wind you up. They know what they, like. They, they don't know everything, but they're, they're intuitive. And as long as you've been knowing them, they've been knowing you. Yeah. And so it's not like you have, you, you're just, you have, you have more breaths on this earth than them. Right. So you have more, you have more knowledge based on intuition and based on more experience, but they're, they're smart and they live in a world that is faster and smarter and they carry as much as a whole library in their pocket. So you mm-hmm. misled by thinking that because they're young, they don't understand. And so how do we begin to help parents have a healthy conversation with their students about, hey, how's it going? And knowing that how's it going is just sometimes a greeting. Like, yeah. how are you doing?
1: Yeah. And well, it all, and Jen and I have talked so much on this show about listening and how important it is just to listen without... The running the tape of what you're going to say, or the lessons you're going to teach, or oh, I gotta you know make sure he knows this or that, but to just simply (laughs) be open, and that's what you're doing as facilitating these groups is just holding space without all the other stuff that gets in the way of us connecting with another person.
2: Yeah, I had a mother reach out. Um, Her son was dealing with some challenges at school. He's a smaller stature boy and. Uh, just feeling the pressure of, you know, being small in this big school and just a lot of that. And so, you know, I encouraged her to, you know, do the mask activity with him and with the family. So I sent her the tool and I met with him. We all met at a cafe and she had her whole family do it. They did a family activity with the mask. And she was like, I just want you to know that these are my kids. And I didn't even know the stuff they wrote on this card. There's only five of them. So it's like, now like I wasn't going to know who's is who, but they wrote it on the card knowing that they were going to talk about it as a family. And she was like, I didn't even know these things about my own kids. And, and I just said, thank you for revealing that. The way our families are set up, like, this is my house. We keep everything in here. We don't have communities anymore that are really raising kids anymore. They used to live in a place where that's your uncle, that's your uncle, that's your uncle. They you got a bunch of people who are helping to guide you And if you couldn't go to mom over here, you got an uncle over here who's willing to listen to you or whatever. And this is my family. There's a mother, father, brother, sister. We keep it all right here. I have nobody else to go to to even bounce ideas off of. Because some parents I've met, they get upset. If a kid goes to somebody else and not go to them. And I tell parents, listen, you need to give your child other healthy adults to be around so that they can, people who have your values, but that they can hear other voices and they can bounce ideas off of. Because sometimes, even though they love you as a parent, they, they know you so well that they're just knowing that I tell them this, they're going to show up to my school, they're going to be acting, you know, right. they're going to make it, they're going to blow the situation out of proportion, right? And I think, like, they know, like, hmm, that's not worth it, you know? That's know. not <laughs> worth <shut> it. They shut
1: down. <laughs> and it is, I tell parents, you know, you need to have your allies and create them from early in a child's life and get those uncles and those aunties who might not be blood but they're you know part of your community and start that relationship early because when he's 12 or when he's 15 and you say oh here's you know here's uncle you get to talk to him now that's not going to work that's not going to go <laughs> over so well but if you created that environment that's always there that safety net of other people to go to because there will come a time in your child's life dear parents when they don't like you and they don't want to talk to you right (laughs) jet i know it's i live
0: it every single day every
2: day i remember a zone where i you know i always loved her my mom but definitely didn't like her very much like you're like what's wrong with you why are you always on my back Mm -hmm. like give me some breathing room it was her doing the best she could to hold it all together, because she was doing it by herself mostly, mm-hmm. and so it was just like her not knowing, no, not ever raising a. I was there; I was her test case. So then we get to my younger brother, and she got gave him so much freedom. I'm like, "What's wrong with you, woman? <laughs> like, what, like, why are you, why are you letting him do that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is." This is, um, this, is un- un- this is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. unacceptable.
0: So. I'm the oldest in my family, too. I'm the oldest of six. I get
2: it.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> just not fair.
2: That's unacceptable that <laughs> you're allowing this to happen. Right. <laughs> so,
1: Ashanti, tell our listeners how they can reach you. And if there's an uh, administrator out there who wants to bring you to their school, how can people find you?
2: So our website is everforwardclub.org. Uh, they can find the campaign, the 100,000 Mask Challenge at 100kmasks.com. And we have a form on our website. They can fill out if they want to do the 100,000 Mask Challenge in their classrooms. Uh, we'll send you the tools so that you can facilitate it. Our, and our ask is, you know, still we're, we're funding this experience and we give it away. And our asking return is that after you've used it, you just take pictures of the cards, you mail them back to us. You just become a part of the global movement of what we're trying to create, and helping people recognize that they're not alone, and that that sometimes these ideas that we're doing it by ourselves and alone is is just a we we tell ourselves. And so they can reach out to us on our website, and we look forward to connecting with folks. And you know, we we travel, so if you need professional development for your teachers or you've got a community group or you got a PTA and you know that your school needs to support um, the the well-being of not only the teachers there but also the the students we do co-ed workshops so it doesn't have to be all young men but um, our primary work has started with um, young men middle school and high school um, and even if you are elementary teacher fourth and fifth grade students we found can really see themselves as the, this idea of a mask if they're a little younger than fourth grade sometimes they have a hard time thinking about why don't I show people because they, they, they would get very literal when they're in third grade? Usually, yeah, they're like, I don't show people my socks, or I don't show people my <laughs> my so they go underwear, yeah. So, we, we you know, we help them which just age appropriate. But I think fourth and fifth grade is a really important age as they're getting ready to transition to middle school and recognizing, Am I acting the way I really want to act, or am I acting the way I think people expect me to act? And I think mm-hmm. that those things are, when I say act, I just mean how I show up in the world, do right. I am I, am I mm-hmm. creating. My being the kind of person I really want to be, or my being who people want me to be, and I think it's just using those um, abilities. So yeah, we look forward to everforwardclub.org or 100kmasks.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook um, at Everforward Club. And so we look forward to them reaching out to us, and we look forward to partnering with schools all over the world.
1: Yeah, and we will put all of that information in the show notes as well. And and Ashanti, thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to the million. What did you call it? The million million
2: mask movement.
1: Yeah, let's get to the million mask movement. It's coming.
2: It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. It
1: is coming. Thank you so much for all of your hard work in this world. It's so important.
2: Really, just about how do we help each other. Yeah. Um, be more of our true authentic selves and and knowing that, you know, it, it takes work. So I think each of us is doing a little bit um, just to make the world a little bit more open for all of us. So thank you for having me on the show. I so appreciate you both. And I look forward to seeing you all again.
0: Thanks, Ashanti. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.